based on the science we have now, we understand the basic causes of disease and aging. We understand the basic ingredients for health, the science of creating health, and that Young Forever is simply a roadmap that guides you through how your body works that you were never given. It's like the owner's manual. And you know, it's like you know your car, you don't know all the features, you don't have to use all the things, but the basic stuff to get around, navigate, and do what you gotta do, you gotta learn how to do. And a massive transformative purpose is what you're telling the world. It's like, this is who I am, this is what I'm gonna do, this is the dent I'm gonna make in the universe. Everybody, Peter Diamandis here. Just had the privilege of sitting down with a dear friend of mine here at the Bold offices for a special episode of Moonshots and Mindsets, talking about one of my favorite subjects and hopefully yours, longevity. My guest uh, was none other than Dr. Mark Hyman. Mark is one of the leading thinkers on longevity and functional medicine. Uh, he's got one of the top podcasts on health called The Doctor's Pharmacy. He's a regular on many TV shows, CBS uh, This Morning, Today Show, Good Morning America, The View, CNN. He just wrote a book that's coming out very shortly called Young Forever, The Secrets to Living Your Longest, Healthiest Life. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the basics, food, diet, exercise, sleep. We're going to talk about what are the cutting edge uh, therapeutics that have a chance to extend a healthy lifespan talk about how a lot of the things that you think might be healthy for you probably are not, and why, in fact, going back to some of the younger, earlier practices of health in the human species is so fundamental. Uh, we talk about the nine hallmarks of aging, what they are, and how to combat them. So uh, if you want some incredible wisdom uh, from someone who's brilliant, uh, please join me for this next episode of Moonshots and Mindsets with Dr. Mark Hyman. Hey, Mark. Great to see you, buddy. Welcome to Santa Monica. It's great to be here, Peter. Uh, last time I saw you, you and I were floating together at zero G. <laughs> we were. Yeah, with your girlfriend back then, now your fiance. Congratulations. That's right. Thank you. Yeah, we were floating high. It yeah. was so fun. Yeah, yeah. Did you enjoy your zero G flight? It was the most unbelievable experience. I mean, like going to Antarctica, seeing the gorillas and the zero G flight or top of the list yeah, for me. So that's, that's, experience. that's the way to romance a girl off her feet, literally. <laughs> uh, so... You know, we're going to dive into the idea of longevity and slowing, stopping aging. I want to ask you about what you think around the idea of reversing aging. But um, how long have you been? Well, let me ask you a different question. How long has the conversation about longevity really been vibrant out there in the world? Because it feels relatively new. It feels new, new yeah. I mean, I think, it, you know, clearly everybody's been thinking about the fountain of youth since yeah. Methuselah, right? Yeah, it's been a few thousand years. <laughs> the Holy Grail and all that. And everybody's looking for the elixir and the, all the alchemists of old. We're all looking for the source of longevity. So this is not a new idea. But I think medicine has really ignored the idea that we could do anything about aging. Yeah. And it's not been a subject of research. It's not been a subject of exploration from any rigorous point of view. And so it sort of was on the back burner as a sort of non-entity until recently when billions of dollars started pouring into the longevity research field and we started making discoveries about the root causes and how we begin to think differently about this. So I think we're in this extraordinary moment that we haven't been in before. And I can see, you know, even when I when I wanted to publish this book, Young Forever, I said to my publisher, I want to write this book. And this was like, you know, three or four years ago. And he said, oh no, it's not a hot topic. Most of these books it's don't do well. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, listen, I know what's going on. And I can tell you that, that this is going to be very big. And it is. I mean, is it fair to say that uh, 
I don't know, five years ago, maybe seven, eight, maybe it was 10, that if you were a credible physician or scientist talking about slowing and stopping and even reversing aging, that it would have been a black mark against you. Absolutely. I mean, even talking about reversing disease is a black mark against you as, can I reverse heart disease? Can you reverse diabetes? Can you reverse dementia? No, but actually, yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I think medicine is really in this cataclysmic change, this paradigm shift where the old ideas of what we thought were true about disease are shifting. And now we're understanding the underlying mechanisms of things that go wrong that underlie all disease. And so that's the exciting part of aging research is it's pointing to what I've been looking at for a long time, which is the body as a system. It's systems theory, systems biology, systems medicine, clinically applied through the lens of functional medicine. But most of, most of the practitioners have no education in this. And we're learned reductionist medicine, which you did and I did in medical school. Yeah, I mean, so I wanted to define a few things. Uh, functional medicine, what is that? What and, is and, that? You're, and I mean, <laughs> you're credited with being one of the fathers, one of the individuals who have been speaking about that for for. For many years, uh, I know certainly that, the noisiest. <laughs> well, well, and and many are following. I mean, we're incorporating that into into fountain life. Um, so, what is functional medicine? Well, I always joke. I say it's the opposite of dysfunctional medicine. <laughs> <laughs> At a high level, it's really about understanding the body as an integrated ecosystem where everything is connected and everything is determining everything all the time. So it's about looking at root causes. It's about treating the system, not the symptoms. It's about understanding the why, not the what, not, not what disease do you have and what drug do I get, but why is this happening and how do I understand the biology underneath it? So it's, it's very much, um, taking sort of the advances that are happening in systems biology and systems medicine and trying to create a clinically useful, methodology to apply these ideas and that's what it is and it's not it's not a new specialty it's not a new sort of alternative therapy it's basically a new methodology for interpreting data through the lens of the body as an ecosystem where you have to look at root causes and you have to treat the body and create health so i mean it seems kind of obvious it's obvious right it's obvious i mean it's really the science of creating health as opposed to treating disease yeah i mean and, that, and that's interesting right because most of medicine we talk about healthcare, but it's really sick care. And you and I have jammed on this uh, much. Yeah. It's like the system out there, you know, unfortunately sort of perpetuates chronic disease and only pays attention to you after yeah. you're sick, right? Yeah. And one of the things I, I think that's interesting is the body doesn't a damn good job at hiding disease. Yeah. I mean, I say the, the disease is the body's best attempt to deal with a bad set of circumstances. You, reach those, you remove those circumstances and the body has this extraordinary, powerful, innate healing system that rep repairs, regenerates, renews. And that's what we learn how to activate in, long, in longevity medicine is we're understanding how to activate these ancient longevity switches that are embedded in us that are supposed to keep us alive and healthy as opposed to turning on all the disease switches, which we do through our modern lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, I, so let me check this out with you because it, it seems amazing that people don't realize this you know people think when they got sick it happened that morning <laughs> right right so uh you know we when you have symptoms of cancer uh depending which cancer it is it's really later on right stage three stage four that you have a physiological response and you're in pain or you look you look bad and you've missed everything at stage zero stage one stage two I remember someone said if you have Parkinson's which is a loss of, of neuronal function and substantia nigra that 
it only gets you only have the Parkinsonian uh, trembling when like seventy percent of the neurons are gone. Yeah. So your body is constantly countering this and and trying exactly. to but. So if you don't look, you don't find. You don't find it, right? The Bogalusa Heart Study, which looked at kids and plaque in their arteries, found that kids as young as you know, 10, 8, 9, were having plaque in their arteries, and that predicted their wow. evidence of their heart disease and risk later on. So these diseases start very early. I mean, even in utero, in the epigenetic environment in, in which the baby is bathed from what the mother's doing, her diet, her lifestyle, exposure, toxins, all determine the risk of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, even before birth. So we, we actually now know that the exposome, which is the sum total of all the things we're exposed to in our life, whether it's our mother's diet or stress or traumas or toxins or our diet or lack of exercise, all the things that are washing over to our microbiome are driving the changes that lead to chronic disease. So 90% of chronic disease is caused by the exposome, not the genome. And even single gene disorders can't be modified through lifestyle. I mean, it's a crazy story. I was in a blue bottle of coffee the other day and I walked in, this guy goes, Dr. Hyman, Dr. Hyman, I'm like, hi. He's like, you saved my life. I'm like, I never met you. He's like, yeah, well, I have sickle cell anemia. And I started following the changes in diet and cleaning everything up. And I was going from having a sickle cell crisis every month to maybe a mild one once a year. Wow. And I'm like, wow, that's a sing- that's like having Down syndrome and like yeah. fixing it. And so even single gene disorders can be modified by the environment. That is that is spectacular. I mean, what, what brings us here together at uh, this moment is your new book. And let me just take a second uh, to, to shout it out. Young Forever, The Secret to Living Your Longest, Healthiest Life. Um, sounds like it, a plan. It, it, uh, well, it, it, it sounds like, you know, it's like, listen, I... Uh, let me let me jump in here. How long do you want to live? I want to live as long as I can do whatever the frick I want to do. Okay. I want to be able to ski, ride horses, make love, hike, do all the things that I love to do. And if it's 120 or 150 or 180, I'll keep going until I'm done. So I, I think realistically, for me, I, I think 120 is a good target. I think for sure I'm going to get to 100. I mean, my dad and my mom got to like 90, and they they ate crap, <laughs> and they smoked when they were younger. And my mother always used to say, whenever I get the urge to exercise, I lie down until it goes away. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think I got, I've been exercising since 14, and, and I've been steady at it, and I've been eating, well, pretty much most of my life. So I think, uh, you know, I might have had two or three Cokes in my entire life. Yeah, that's, that's, that is fascinating. I mean, and biologically I'm 43. So, you know, even though I'm 63 chronologically, according to the DNA methylation test, I'm 43, which means, you know, at least another, you know, 60 years. And that gets me to 120. So and, and we'll, we'll get, in, we'll get into this. Cause I, you know, the challenge, the thing that most people don't realize is if you can add uh, 30 healthy years onto where you are today, during those 30 years, the breakthroughs we're going to see are extraordinary. Yeah. You know, it doesn't like science isn't like stopped and taken a break for 30 years. It's it's accelerating. And so the breakthroughs that we'll see in a whole range of things we'll, we'll talk about. Um, so the book Forever Young. Young Forever. Bob, uh, Dylan. Young, young Bob young forever. Dylan was the Forever Young. <laughs> Sorry. Another Jewish guy, but anyway. So uh, Young Forever is, uh, is out on pre-order now. And depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it may be available on Amazon. Um, and the pre-orders have, sh- have shot through the roof. Yeah. Uh, what did you say? It was ten, tenfold. Every other book I've done, which is all done very well. 
that's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to be able to support. You're going to be coming and speaking at Abundance 360 this year, which I'm really excited about. Um, let's talk about why you wrote this. Mm. Well, I mean, aside from the fact that I'm getting older and, I, and I'm, I'm, you know, everybody's favorite radio station is WIFM, which is what's in it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt that, it, you know, it was important to write this book because as I began to look at the, the field of longevity research and longevity science, I felt like there was something missing. And, and what's, what, what isn't missing is this reimagination of disease according to the hallmarks of aging which we can get into what those are, what they mean, and we'll, we'll dive into that. But these hallmarks of aging are the things that seem to go wrong as we get older that we can influence and reverse, and literally reverse our biological age, and that are, are the reasons why we see all the diseases from heart disease to diabetes to cancer to dementia, all the age-related diseases are the result of these fundamental biological processes that go awry. Now, what what... What, what that is is a huge advance in understanding of targets for treatment, whether it's through pharmaceuticals or lifestyle or meditation or stem cells or whatever. But the, the truth is that what was missing was the question of why. Why do these things go wrong? What is the cause of the hallmarks? So if the hallmarks are the cause of disease and diseases are the cause of aging, what's the cause of the hallmarks? And so functional medicine gives us a way to think about that. And it really comes down to really two simple questions that I learned from my mentor, Sid Baker, which is, you know, what do you have too much of that your body doesn't like you need to get rid of? Toxins, allergens, microbes, stress, poor diet, et cetera. And what are the things you need to thrive? What are the ingredients for health? The right food, nutrients, the right balance of hormones, light, air, clean water, exercise, sleep, connection, meaning, love, purpose, all these things are the ingredients for health. So you're either dying of too much of something or dying of not enough of something, right? And so that was what I wanted to highlight was, was take a look at where the longevity field is, what, what actually could be helping it to actually even accelerate further the results that people get from a biological standpoint. And how do we not just go back into a reductionist model of treating the hallmarks of aging with reductionist therapies? This episode is brought to you by Levels. One of the most important things that I do to try and maintain my peak vitality and longevity is to monitor my blood glucose. More importantly, the foods that I eat and how they peak the glucose levels in my blood. Now, glucose is the fuel that powers your brain. It's really important. High, prolonged levels of glucose, what's called hyperglycemia, leads to everything from heart disease to Alzheimer's to sexual dysfunction to diabetes and it's not good. The challenge is all of us are different. Uh, all of us respond to different foods in different ways. Like for me, if I eat bananas, it spikes my blood glucose. If I eat grapes, it doesn't. If I eat bread by itself, I get this prolonged spike in my blood glucose levels. But if I dip that bread in olive oil, it blunts it. And these are things that I've learned from wearing a continuous glucose monitor and using the Levels app. So Levels is a company that helps you in analyzing what's going on in your body. It's continuous monitoring 24 seven. I wear it all the time. It really helps me to stay on top of the food I eat, remain conscious of the food that I eat, and to understand which foods affect me based upon my physiology and my genetics. You know, on this podcast, I only recommend products and services that I use, that I use not only for myself, but my friends and my family, that I think are high quality and safe and really impact a person's life. So check it out, levels.link slash Peter. 
We give you two additional months of membership and it's something that I think everyone should be doing. Eventually this stuff is gonna be in your body, on your body, part of our future of medicine today. It's a product that I think uh, I'm gonna be using for the years ahead and hope you'll consider as well. So when I think about why we age, I sort of think, go back 100,000 years ago when we were getting pregnant at age 12 or 13 and having a baby, and by the time you were 26 or 27, you're a grandparent, and before food was abundant, before, you know, McDonald's was around, the last thing you wanted to do to perpetuate the species was steal food from your grandchildren, right? And so there was no advantage for you being around longer than age 30 at that point. In fact, it might have been a disadvantage. I'm just wondering, you know, and there was never any selective pressure to, I mean, I think if, if we could reproduce into our 80s, 90s, 100s, that we would have been living longer. Does that I mean, make Mick sense? Mick Jagger had a kid at 75. <laughs> Picasso had one, I think, at 80. <laughs> True. So, women is harder. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, so it's, it's interesting. You know, you, you refer to the way we currently age, uh, gradual decline, increased illness, chronic disease, uh, as abnormal. Yeah. Um, how should we be aging? What is, what would you consider normal? Well, you know, uh, Peter, I, I, um, you look around and you go to the average hospital or, you know, see old people, which we kind of hide them in this culture, which is and very strange. And hospitals are a terrible place, terrible place for old people to be. <laughs> right, totally. But, but we see decrepitude, frailty, disability, disease, and, and people's health span is far shorter than their lifespan. Maybe the last 20 years of their life are in poor health. That means your health spans, let's say 60, but you live to 80. That means you're, you've lost 20 years of, of health span. And, and that's what we've come to think of as normal in this culture. But I've been to places like Sardinia, where people are 100 years old, or 95 years old, and they're still hiking five miles up the mountain and straight up as an arrow and booming voices and clear minds. And I'm like, this is impressive. So I think, I think we, we come to accept what we see around us as normal, but it's really not. And, and uh, there are many examples around the world where people are practicing habits by default, not because they're into longevity, but just by default, their cultures have created an environment that promotes longevity. And as soon as they move to a Western world, they get the same rate of death and disease as we do. So these are the blue zones. The blue zones, yeah. yeah. Like I was in Sardinia and Nicaria and, you know, um, and uh, Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica. I mean, there's a guy like, who's like riding his horse straight up and narrow at 101 years old in Costa Rica. I'm like, man, most people even wouldn't, wouldn't want to walk around the street without a walker at 100 years old. Don't let's jump up on a horse, and, you know. And so is it all about just lifestyle and, and diet and uh, mindset? What is it? What are the principal elements here? Because you know, we talk about the hallmarks of aging, which I do want to get into. These feel like cellular, subcellular, physiological uh, elements of, uh, of systems running down, right? Entropy. Mm. Um, yeah, but energy can be getting accelerated or decelerated, depending on what you do. If you put energy in a system, you can change entropy, right? Entropy happens without putting any energy in the system. And the and the the reasons I think that we see this, this sort of acceleration is because of the habits we have and the lifestyle we have. But if we actually change those and look at what are the biggest drivers for these hallmarks of aging, it's food. You know, I think there's the, the, the hierarchy. They're not all created equal, these hallmarks. And one of the most important is this deregulated nutrient sensing, which is how we sample 
the food we're eating and how it influences these longevity switches, which there are four. Two of them basically detect too much stuff and the other detect too little. So mTOR and insulin signaling detect too much you know, protein and sugar and carbs, and insulin does the same. It's more, mostly sugar and carbs. And MPK and sirtuins detect not enough scarcity, and then they get activated. So when, the, when these switches are properly managed, and it's not like you can have them all on or on off. I think a lot of people get confused. Oh, mTOR is bad. Let's shut off mTOR. Well, no, if you do that, you're going to end up without any muscle or be able to synthesize proteins. So if food is the biggest driver, and so when you look at our diet, it's the incredibly high amounts of starch and sugar and processed food. That so we let's, eat. I want to I want to hit on all of these during the course of this conversation. Uh, for folks who are listening and want to take away, you know, real nuggets that can change their life, because it it doesn't take a lot to make a no. substantial change no. in your life. And I've, no. I'll, I'll share mine, but I want to hear yours and what you're teaching here. So let's let's hit on food. Let's begin with the food right now, because. Yep. You know, the idea of food is medicine. I'll begin with the number one thing I've learned to appreciate is sugar is a poison. Yeah, yeah, it really is. You know, well, the dose makes the poison, right? So having a little bit of sugar is not going to kill you, but it's the fact that we eat the equivalent of about a pound a day per person of sugar and flour and below the neck, sugar and flour in your body are the same. In fact, the glycemic index of bread is 100. That's the gold standard. Sugar is 65, which is better than bread. That's because it has fructose, which lowers the doesn't spike glucose, but that it basically bread and sugar are the same. And we eat about 152 pounds of sugar and 133 pounds of flour on average per person. That's average. Now I'm not having that much. So some people are having a lot more and that's driving <laughs> the fact that we have, you know, 93% of Americans that are metabolically unhealthy, yes. which means they have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high blood sugar, or they're overweight, or they have had a heart attack or a stroke. That's like 6% of us basically, or 6.8% of us are in good metabolic health. That's terrifying to me. And that's driven by our diet primarily. So, uh, you know, someone once said that sugar is more addicting than cocaine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, whether that's ever been scientifically proven or whatever, it's in addicting. Rats. In rats. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's addicting. I just, you know, every year uh, with my abundance community, I do a 22-day sugar fast, mm. right? And the entire community goes on in a WhatsApp group and we drop all sugar and high glycemic index foods, no yeah. pasta, no rice, yeah. no bread yeah. and so forth. And it's difficult in the beginning, right? But when you're doing it with others, it's, it's achievable. And towards the end, um, you're off the addiction. People stop wanting it. Yeah. 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 So I'm in that, I'm in that phase now I'm cra- you know, for me, it's all about high value protein and plant foods. I mean, yeah. so what, if you're not eating bread, pasta, rice, sugar, desserts, and so forth, what are you eating? Well, that's a great question. I think I think if you look at the science of, of longevity, there, there are like many cultures with many different diets, whether the Inuit or the Maasai who eat primarily animal-based diets, or you've got you know, maybe cultures where they eat more plant-based diets, like in Okinawa, but they still have pork and they still have meat. I think it's really about the, the quality of the information you're putting in. Because, you know, as we talked about, the, these, you know, and David, David Sinclair talks about the information theory of aging. Mm-hmm. Food is information and it's signal. So everything that you do, whether it's what you eat, how you move, what you, how you sleep, your level of stress, toxins, your microbiome, all is washing over your biology and creating inputs. This is the exposome that influence everything that's happening. And the, and the remarkable thing is, Peter, the rapidity of change of your biology when you change those things is so fast. 
Like you could be type two diabetic on insulin and in three days you're off insulin, you know, and in three months you're, you know, basically your blood sugar is normal and you've reversed all your diseases. So that's the power of food. And so when I think about food, it's about having high amounts of these plant rich phytochemical diets. And I think some people argue with that, but it should be a carnivore, but I'm not sure that's the best idea. I think high quality protein is really important. This is a highly debatable subject in longevity because many longevity experts are talking about you being vegan or actually eliminating animal protein as a way to extend life. And, I, and that really comes from this whole theory about mTOR being uh, a problem and that we need to inhibit mTOR, which means mammalian target of rapamycin. We'll get into rapamycin, but the idea is that this, this longevity switch is in every cell in your body. When you overstimulate it, it creates Overstimulated mTOR. How? By eating too much protein okay. or eating all the time protein right. that it will cause overgrowth of tissues and cancers and heart diseases and all the, all the problems that we see with aging. The problem is it's like anything else. You know, if, if you inhibit it all the time, you, you waste away and you're frail and you die. Like if your calorie restriction, which is what this does induce the mTOR inhibition, right? Calorie restriction is the thing that actually everybody agrees will lengthen your life by a third if you eat a third less calories. You'll be miserable and scrawny and have no sex drive and your hair's falling out, but you'll live longer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The question, the big hack is how do we mimic calorie restriction? Well, the idea is if you, you don't, you know, stimulate mTOR with high levels of animal protein, then you can extend your life. And there's some rationale to that, but you also need Muscle, because muscle is the currency of longevity. And if you don't have muscle... And, and we're going to get to that because I'm on a... Right now, for me, my biggest number one objective is muscle growth. Yes. I am like, I'm like in the gym constantly, um, you know, and I'm taking my creatine. But I'm also... I've also massively increased my protein intake. Yeah. So I want to understand where you yeah. are. Because this is all... You know, I take rapamycin. So yeah. there's this like increased animal protein, yeah. working out, yeah. rapamycin. Yeah. Try, so... This triangle here, how do you, so, so, so it's so, a goal so, slow it down and explain it to folks who would understand all those terms, but, and what do you recommend at the end? So it's the Goldilocks problem. You want to turn it on so you can build muscle. You want to turn on what? mTOR. Okay. And you also want to give it a break so you can do cleanup and repair. So think about your body has its own recycling cleanup mechanism. It's called autophagy, which means self-eating, self-cannibalism. And it's basically like a little Pac-Man that runs around and gobbles up old proteins and parts. And I mean, think of it if you're starving, your body still needs to get proteins and it still needs to do stuff and make things. But if you're not eating, what are you going to do? So you basically go around and you recycle all the old parts and you make new stuff, which is basically what your body does. It's brilliant. And the way it does it is through this process called autophagy, which is essential to clean up, repair, renewal, regeneration, and also activates all these other longevity pathways, like reducing inflammation, increasing mitochondrial function. So everything you need to do to survive if you're starving so you don't die, it kind of turns it on, which is great. And that's an important thing to do every day. So you can do that by not eating for 12 hours between dinner and breakfast. If you want to go to 14, that's great. So that means eating at six and night and having breakfast at eight in the morning. That's not a hard thing to do, right? Or right. 10 if you want to do 16 hours. So that's a, that's a really simple way every day to induce autophagy. The other is to um, activate mTOR in the right way, which means not eating all the time, like not eating, you know, bed night snacks and flooding with all this stuff. And then eating a big load of protein in the morning when you wake up in a fasted state. Mm-hmm. And that, and my favorite way to do it, because, you know, I don't necessarily want a steak for breakfast. Is I have a, I have my healthy aging shake, which I talk about in the book, Young Forever. Essentially, it's got regeneratively raised goat whey. 
I use I sort of use some other pumpkin seed powders, just a little plant proteins in there, and I and I put in creatine. I put in something called urolithin A, which is an incredible my, mitophagy compound that comes from pomegranate and helps build muscle, and a few other things like adaptogenic mushrooms and you know some things from my gut, and I kind of make it like a healthy shake. But basically, you've got this you know 30, 40 grams of protein in the morning to kick you off. Yeah, to kick you off, and then you know having thirty at least. Per meal, usually, you know, this is the problem with protein. If you look at the data, we say, oh, you should eat 0.8 grams per kilo. This is the RDA. Now, that, people don't understand what that is. That's the minimum you need to not get protein deficiency. Like, how much vitamin C do you need to not get scurvy? Mm. Like 60 milligrams. <laughs> how much vitamin? You know, how much vitamin D do you need to not get rickets? 30 units. Well, how much vitamin D do you need for optimal health? Maybe 2,000, right. 4,000. Yeah. Right. So. It's very important to understand what these are. And so when you're, and particularly when you're older, it actually is important for you to eat more protein because there's something called anabolic resistance, meaning it's harder to build muscle. And the worst thing you can do is not exercise throughout your life and then end up, you know, at 65 being the same weight that you were when you're 25, but you're twice as fat because you're, all your muscles get marble like a big wagyu ribeye. And then, and then. They're metabolically super unhealthy and drive inflammation, low cortisol, low testosterone. I'll put a I'll, I'll put a, a fine point on this. We'll come back to it later on on exercise. But there, the number one correlate between length of life and longevity is your muscle mass. Absolutely right. And so there's a number of reasons. Thought first of all, uh, if you are older and you are you fall and break your hip or your pelvis, it's a like 70% of people over the age of 65 who have that fall that die year. within a year. Yeah. It's crazy. My father passed like that way. Terminal cancer, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awful. So you need the muscle mass to be able to hold yourself from falling and having that accent. But also muscle mass uh, is a supply of stem cells uh, and, and blood, uh, blood volume. It's where your metabolism is. And, yeah, and so ultimately you want to maximize your muscle mass. So... Um, if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, go for it. If you're in your 50s, you need to put the time in. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I think I think when I, I just want to kind of put a point on this, people say, you know, you know, you can do this with plant proteins. And, and what I typically found is that people who are vegan, who are jacked, and I've studied this, they actually eat a lot of processed plant proteins. So they actually have to supplement with plant protein and you have to eat enormous amount i was just in rwanda and we saw the gorillas now gorillas are huge and they're and they're vegans they're vegans and they're <laughs> ma like they're massive and i'm like what do they eat i was like what do they eat they eat 55 pounds of food a day they can extract from that plenty of protein but they have different digestive systems but they have digestive systems that are like 10 times longer than ours like yeah. huge and they're big you know, like they have these giant bellies it's not because they're fat it's because their their intestines are enormous because it takes forever to digest all this stuff and extract the food and we have they have much longer large intestines where you can start to sort of ferment and, and break down these foods and, and start to absorb them so we we have shorter uh intestines we have um you know the ability to actually uh, use animal protein, which they, they don't really, they, they ha eat insects, but they're massive. And the key about muscle building is you need a certain amount of a particular amino acid called leucine. Now leucine is what we call rate limiting amino acid. It means if you don't have this amino acid, it's hard to turn on muscle synthesis, like turning on a light switch. So plant proteins are typically low in leucine. So you can get enough by eating tons of plant protein, but you need like a lot more than you could possibly eat. You're not going to eat 55 pounds of food a day. And so, you know, 
especially as you get older, you need about the size of your palm, depending on your, you know, if you're Shaquille O'Neal, if you're a little lady, <laughs> it's going to be a different palm size of a protein. But basically, you need probably 1.2 to 1.6, even 2 grams per kilo if you want to build muscle and get stronger. And you need to have high leucine protein. Now, you can take plant proteins and supplement with leucine. You, you know, I call them like jacked up plant proteins. And that's fine if you, if you are a committed vegan, you want to do that. But you can't ignore the fact that you're going to have to eat a lot of these processed proteins and that, and that meat has, you know, carnosine and also creatine and, and carnitine, which are incredibly helpful compounds that are not in plant proteins that are required for. So let's go back health. to what do you, what do you eat right now? Personally? Personally, yes. Well, my day, if like I'm at home, I'll have like a, my healthy aging shake. I'll usually have a 14 hour fast minimum. I usually work out. Yep. Do band resistance training, which is great because I can do it anywhere and, and don't hurt myself. <laughs> and then I have my healthy aging shake. Yep. Well, actually, I do some hormesis practice first, which is essentially uh, uh, steam and then an ice bath. And then and then and then I have my shake, uh, and I take my supplements. And then uh, lunch can be a combination of things, but it can be usually a salad with like proteins. So I'll put in sardines or canned salmon or something like that, nuts and seeds, avocado, pumpkin seeds. So I do a lot of fat and protein and veggies. And then dinner will typically be, you know, grass or regenerative fed beef or lamb or organic chicken or pasteurized chicken or uh, different kinds of fish that are low in mercury. And then I'll usually have like, maybe I need, I'm, I'm kind of very low body fat and I have a I don't do well if I don't eat a little bit of carbohydrates. So I'll have like a Japanese sweet potato. I'll have some side of shells but mushrooms and lots high, of veggies. High quality protein and plant. Yeah, and lots plants. of veggies. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And just basics. And again, going back to what Will we I said, have a bro- piece of chocolate occasionally? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but still, it's, it's minimizing, uh, minimizing sugar intake. Yeah. And it's, um, uh, you know, let's talk about the impact of sugar. It's an inflammatory agent right it, it like it, it it makes all the proteins in your bloodstream sticky yeah i mean so let's just walk through it so when you eat sugar what happens or when i say sugar i mean any kind of starch that it will raise your blood sugar you produce insulin and insulin is a special kind of hormone that's produced by your pancreas that is designed to put blood sugar into your cells but but when you have high levels of sugar you have to make more insulin and insulin not only drives the fat into the fat cells to store but it also shuts off the release valve so you can't actually burn the fat. So it shuts down lipolysis, which is the burning of fat. It slows your metabolism down and it increases your hunger hormones. So you're hungrier, you're gaining weight, you can't burn the fat and your metabolism is slower. So it totally screws you up. And then it produces these special kinds of fat cells in your belly called adipocytokines adipocytes, which are producing adipocytokines, which are inflammatory compounds. So you basically have a fire in your belly spewing out all this inflammation throughout your body. It lowers your hormones. So males, their testosterone drops way down. Their sex drive and function goes down. Women get all kinds of other hormonal dysregulation. Affects your brain. You get... um, increased cortisol and adrenaline with sugar and cortisol causes literally shrinkage of your hippocampus, which is the memory center. So it's just, it's just bad news. And then, and then does this thing, which, which we, we, we were just hinting at, which it it kind of the too much sugar goes around and, and forms globs with proteins called glycation products. And when you measure hemoglobin MC, which is what we do to measure how your blood sugar is controlled. If you're diabetic, you get high levels of these glycated hemoglobins, but it happens to all these proteins and it happens in your brain. They're called ages. Literally the name of it is called ages, advanced glycation end products. And they bind to receptors called rages, 
<laughs> so you're aging and raging when you eat sugar. Uh, and, and really just driving heart disease and, uh, and yeah. neurodegenerative disease. It's just, it's just bad stuff. The human body... They call type uh, dementia now, type 3 diabetes. Yeah. Most cardiovascular heart disease is driven by metabolic syndrome, prediabetes. The lipid panels that are the worst are the ones that are really driven by too much sugar and starch, not fat. And, uh, of course, diabetes, you know, I think and cancer. People just realize, yeah, it's, it's the fuel for cancer, uh, that we never had sugar as we were evolving 100,000 years ago. Right? This is a recent development, as is all the food companies that are pushing on us. Yeah. Uh, so if, if I could say, if you, if you remember nothing else from this podcast, minimize sugar and maximize exercise, which everybody knows already. It's not like, you know, like, breakthrough yeah, science, right. but it's, it's like yeah, it's reminder, so key, try right. it. Yeah, you can take all these supplements, do all these hacks, take all the stem cells you want, but if, you're, if you don't have the basics right, you know. A brief note from our sponsors. Let's talk about sleep. Sleep has become one of my number one longevity priorities in life. You know, getting eight deep, uninterrupted hours of sleep is one of the most important things you can do to increase your vitality and energy and increase the health span that you have here on earth. You know, when I was in medical school years ago, I used to pride myself on how little sleep I could get. You know, it used to be five, five and a half hours. Today, I pride myself on how much sleep I can get and I shoot for eight hours every single night. Now, usually I'm great at going to sleep. If I'm exhausted, you know, I've worked a hard day, I'm right out. But if I'm having difficulty, and it occurs, I'm having insomnia or my mind's overactive and I need help to get that eight hours, I turn to a supplement product by Life Force called Peak Rest. Now, Peak Rest has been formulated with an extraordinary scientific depth and background includes everything from long-lasting melatonin to magnesium to L-glycine to rosemary extract, just to name a few. This product is about creating a sense of rest and really giving you the depth and length of sleep that you need for recovery. It's a product I hope you'll try. It works for me and I'm sure it will work for you. If you're interested, go to mylifeforce.com backslash Peter uh, to get a discount from Lifeforce on this product but you'll also see a whole set of other longevity and vitality related supplements that I use. We'll talk about them some other time, but in terms of sleep, Peak Rest is my go-to supplement. Hope you'll enjoy it. Go to mylifeforce.com backslash Peter for your discount. All right, we talked about the hallmarks of aging. How many do you, uh, do you believe there are? You know, I sort of imagine, remember there was like nine hallmarks. Nine original aging. ones, yeah. yeah. I think I added one. Okay. <laughs> Who so might add one, but let, I, I added one. Why not? <laughs> Called the microbiome. I think the gut plays such a huge role. Increasing, wow, we know that's been another area of explosive knowledge. Mm -hmm. So let's pick a few of them that are your favorites and talk about them. Well, I think the deregulated nutrient testing is so important because, you know... Um, so by the way, the nine hallmarks of aging now with 10 with, with uh, Mark's microbiome, these were, what are the underlying causes of why we age? That's right. right? And I, I just go list them through them yeah, quickly so we can talk about it briefly. But there's yeah. the, the nutrient sensing problem, which leads to... Um, problems with these four longevity switches, which is insulin, too much insulin, sugar, mTOR, which is overstimulation with too much, you know, food in general and protein, uh, sirtuins, which are really important in DNA repair, which, which if you're always eating, never get turned on. And, and that's why we're talking about NAD, uh, AMPK, which also is, is regulating glucose and mitochondrial function. That's what people are taking metformin for to sort of regulate that. So these are really important. And I talk a lot about them in the book. Then the next one is, um, 
that, that we see is thing, and in no particular order, there's telomere shortening, which are little caps at the end of your uh, chromosomes that open up so you can basically replicate like a copy machine your DNA, and we replicate like, I don't know, some quadrillion amount of times for our life. It's ridiculous. But sometimes that goes wrong, and you end up or shortening your telomeres, and you end up with a shorter life because you have shorter telomeres, and that's highly influenced by your lifestyle, what you do. Uh, senescent cells, also known as zombie cells. Zombie cells are produced in part sometimes by this problem of DNA replication that goes wrong and cells, instead of being like exploded and dying, we call it apoptosis, they turn into these zombie cells that never die and run around your body spewing inflammation and kind of almost infecting other cells. And so you get this runaway senescent inflammation. And there's some really cool things that are out there that can can regulate those, some compounds like fisetin from strawberries. There's uh, things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy that's been shown to you know, kill zombie cells. So there's all these sort of good things about killing zombie cells. <laughs> um, and then, uh, we have mitochondrial dysfunction. The mitochondria are the cellular energy powerhouses. And when those go wrong, we just lose energy. Why does a three-year-old run around like a you know, jackrabbit and you know, 90-year-olds like moving super slow? It's because their mitochondria are running at different rates. They're less mitochondria. They're poor-functioning mitochondria. So keeping your mitochondria healthy is a key part of healthy aging. There's also proteins that get damaged. And we just talked about that, the, the glycated proteins and you get all proteins are three-dimensional structures they're that everything have to, have to be you know are they they're like the information super high with your body and there's peptides with proteins and they have to be functioning in the right shape and the right size and in the right kind of amino acid sequence and when they're not right they cause all kinds of damage and you get these old funky proteins and so things like um saunas for example increase heat shock proteins in your body which help kind of fix these damaged proteins. Increasing autophagy helps that. Um, and even uh, transfer plasma exchanges where you kind of filter out the old blood and the plasma, you can get rid of a lot of the stuff. So there's all these cool therapies that are coming to fix these. We also see, um, in addition, DNA damage. So DNA damage is something that happens all day. You got a thousand, hundred thousand little cut, cuts a day and your body has a whole DNA repair system. Yeah, that's that, twins. There's sirtuins that are activated by NAD and by the right diet and screwed up by sugar, by the way. <laughs> and, and those uh, mechanisms, you know, might miss a couple here and there to repair. It's amazing it does as well it does, but there's ways of, of improving that. And then we have also the tiring of your stem cells. Your stem cells kind of yeah, poop out. Yeah, stem cell exhaustion. Yeah. So, you know, that, that also has to do with... Um, or lifestyle and so forth. So many ways to sort of activate your stem cells. There's some really cool things looking at, you know, I'm not going to get into this kind of wacky, but like using different kinds of light and stuff in your pineal gland to activate different stem cells and harvest them. And they're doing the stuff in Costa Rica. It's kind of wacky, but um, that there's ways of dealing with that. Uh, and then we also have um, the, the problem of inflammation, which is in a sense, the final common pathway for that either causes or is a consequence of almost all these things. Mm -hmm. So inflammation in the body is, is driving almost all the chronic diseases of aging, whether it's arthritis or dementia or cancer or heart disease or diabetes or all these are inflammatory problems. And, and so we, we have to understand the cause of inflammation and we have to become an inflammologist. And if you fix a lot of these other things like, you know, and some things we can't do anything about, right? We, we live in a sea of toxins, like, you know, 200 years ago, we didn't have all the crap we make, all the petrochemical toxins. What was in the graduate? He says, plastic. That's the thing, right? <laughs> plastic. So that's my favorite petrochemicals. And, you know, heavy metals are more in the ocean because of coal and lead. I mean, so I see a lot of these things that aren't people's fault that are the result of environmental stresses. But we can deal with those. And so thinking, and, and the last hallmark that I talked about is the, is the microbiome. 
I think I got all 10. <laughs> I don't know if I did. Uh, the microbiome is, is this whole ecosystem of bugs in your gut that's so critical for regulating immunity, for regulating cancer risk, heart disease risk, diabetes, uh, even dementia. Uh, your mood, everything is controlled by the microbiome. And, it, and you know, we may be just carrying a carrying vessel for <laughs> this uh, kind of glob of bacteria yeah, that exactly. live in us that is 10, almost 100 times as much DNA as our own DNA, yeah, or maybe yeah. more. And you're, it, for, you're 40 trillion human cells, and you've got, you know, 100 trillion bacteria, viri, yeah, and fungi yeah. around you. Yeah, it's quite amazing. And, and what's interesting is that we're now measuring your metabolome, which is some total of all the metabolites in your blood. And, and a huge portion of these come from the microbiome. Yeah. And they're regulating everything. So, so one of the cool things in the book I talk about is how if you eat pomegranate and you have the right bacteria, the metabolite of pomegranate is called urolithin A. And this compound which you have to have the right gut bacteria, which most of us don't, <laughs> actually is an anti-aging compound. It enhances fitness, VO2 max, muscle um, uh, building, and fitness, fitness, and also mitophagy without even exercising. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what's not to like? Uh, it all, Did I miss any? I think uh, I got No, I, I think you hit them all. Um, uh, oh, I know, epigenetic changes. That was the one I missed. Ah, okay. That was the last Dr. One. Dr. Sinclair. <laughs> That's a really important one. Yes. Yeah. Because that can I just finish? Yeah, that please. One? Yeah. Go so, for it. so the epigenetic one is 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 really a, a way we're now understanding that aging occurs at a meta level. That your genome is basically fixed, and you've talked about this with Tony in your book. The genome is fixed. You've got a certain amount of genes that doesn't change. But what genes get turned on or off, which gets expressed, is determined by everything washing over those genes. Your exposome, like you talk about the piano player yeah. and how the piano player can play, you know, ragtime, jazz, classical rock on the same genes, right? And so we we have to understand that most of the insults that we do to ourselves, you know, too much stress, lack of sleep, poor diet, lack of exercise, exposure, toxins, all these things influence our epigenome and and we'll put little little tags and determine which genes get rid or not. But those are changeable. Yeah, I like I like to say, listen, you got the same 3.2 billion letters from your mom and your dad when you're born, when you're 20, when you're 60, when you're 80, when you're 100. So why don't you look like you're ripped when you're 20, when you're 80, right? What, what is different if your genes are the same? And it's not the genes you have, it's which genes are on and off, yeah. right? And that epi from the Greek word above is that control. And what we're seeing is a lot of science. This is coming from David Sinclair's lab. It's coming from George Church's lab. It's coming from Salk Institute uh, about being able to potentially slow, stop, and reverse aging, maybe yeah. go back to those earlier epigenetic yeah. uh, markers. Uh, do you believe that's going to happen? Yes. I mean, look, we, we now, for the first time, and, what, and, and it clearly needs to be refined, but we have a biomarker that we didn't have to track influences of whatever we want to do, whether it's our diet or lifestyle or medication, on our biological age. So our biological age is different than our chronological age. I'm 63. I was born in 1959. Nothing I can do about that. Let's <laughs> you know? like go out outer space and whatever. Uh, I think Einstein would help with that. But, but basically, that's what I got. But biologically, I'm 43, according to DNA methylation testing. 
So DNA methylation is how our epigenome is regulated. And right. mostly there's a few other ways, but essentially that's how our epigenome is determined. And, and so we can now do an intervention and see what happens. And so in the book, I talk about some of the early studies, whether giving quercetin or dastinib or whether right. using vitamin D or whether using a Mediterranean diet. And they're all seeing changes from you know months to years. And one of the studies that was most impressive was a functional medicine study looking at a very aggressive functional medicine diet, which is, is way more than just like a Mediterranean diet, but it's super anti-inflammatory. It's very rich in phytochemicals, very rich in methylating compounds, combined with the simple lifestyles things. And they found within eight weeks, they were able to change their DNA methylation patterns, reverse their biological clock in eight weeks by, by three years. Wow. So, you know, there's this guy who's like, uh, this was, I might've read about this, who spent $2 million. I, I know. You know project. Let's, let's, let's not go there. And, and you know, like, you know, he got, he got five years. I got like 20 years. So <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think we have the ability to, to really influence these things and then track what we're doing over time. So that's what's exciting to me. You can use intermediate biomarkers, you know, like inflammation markers, cholesterol, and other things which are helpful and insulin levels and hormone levels and all this stuff. And I think that's important, but, but you know, that's variable. And you don't really know what's happening to your epigenome with that, but you can measure directly the epigenome. And that's, what's so exciting. It is an exciting time. I mean, there's this concept called longevity escape velocity, which you know of, yeah. uh, we write yeah. about in the book. I yeah. first heard it from uh, Ray Kurzweil and Aubrey de Grey. And, yeah. um, it's the idea that today science is extending your life for a quarter, quarter of a year for a year of your life. And that it may be possible at some time in the future that science will extend your life for more than a year for every year of your life. So it becomes divergent. And I asked Ray when he thinks uh, it's going to be. And I asked, uh, I asked uh, George Church when he thinks uh, it's going to yeah, be. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you know what they, what they said? I, I, think, I, think, I think Ray was like 10, 15 years. Yeah. I think George was kind of squishy about it. Yeah, yeah he, said he was about 15 to 20 years. Yeah. Uh, do you have a do you do you believe we're going to reach that point? Do you think that science can actually add uh, meaningful decades onto our life? I think yeah, meaningful decades, healthy decades is the is the key yeah. uh, descriptor. But I, I I do think that there's some things coming down the road that you talk about uh, that that are kind of weird and wacky things that are more sci-fi. They're not the basics that we're talking about that I think. Are, are safe and effective and that has to do with with genetic manipulation like the yamanaka factors and i think that that stuff's really interesting to me uh, i mean it's still not ready for prime time but basically this is discovery by this guy yamanaka from japan who won the nobel prize for understanding that these four transcription factors that seem to help embryonic cells differentiate into their mature cells so how does your nose become a nose or your kidney become a kidney or your brain become a brain like there's a thing that, and then it stops it doesn't just keep developing right and so if you can go back and somehow modify or insert these transcription factors into the body and then have a switch externally that you turn them on so let's say you're 50 and your hair's a little gray your joints are good your erections aren't so good your muscle wasting a little bit you go oh, i'm gonna just take this thing and switch it on i'm gonna turn back to 25. Yeah. that that's not out of the realm of possibility that's the, based the, on my understanding the holy grail. but it's it's like i think you know it has to, a lot more mice and other animals have to yeah. try and <laughs> so let's be clear there are the basics today it is diet it is exercise it is sleep uh it is mindset is important right huge huge right huge you know if if i think if you if you can will yourself to death and you can will yourself to life yeah and we've all seen examples about that and one of the most exciting uh, thing that I've seen is the data on meaning and purpose. If you look at 
if we cured heart disease and cancer from the face of the planet, we might extend life by five to seven years. Like if we got rid of all of it from everywhere. Yes. And, there was, and these are the number one and two killers. Yes. If you have meaning and purpose in life, your life extension is seven years. Yeah. <laughs> if you play tennis, it's X seven years too. <laughs> okay, good. I'm, I'm, I'm playing once a week. And God knows I'm filled, as are you, with, with meaning and purpose. And that's what I teach. It's like the most important thing you can have is be, have a purpose-driven life. Yeah. But I do think there's also the idea of a longevity mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, And I'm just curious if you have how you think about that terminology, a longevity mindset. I mean, I feel like I have it. I mean, I, I, most of my friends are now in their 30s and 40s, uh, and I do all the same things they do, yeah, you know, sure. whether it's bomb down the mountain at, you know, stupid miles an hour, or <laughs> stupid ski, like or, you know, ride my bike. I, I feel like it's really an idea. Uh, the, the concept of, of slowing down, of aging's idea. Now, things happen, like, you know, I have more, I've had back injuries and I have more little aches and pains, but, but, those, but I've used regenerative medicine to help me deal with those, which we can talk about. And I, I think for me, I I'm, feel like I'm just beginning my life. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Peter, I feel like you know, I'm 63 and I finally figured my shit out. I figured out like, yeah, what it takes great. to be happy. I'm like kind of not struggling and suffering and figuring out what, how to love properly. When I saw properly. you with your fiance, I was like, <laughs> there is a happy man and a happy couple. She was equally uh, glowing. But it's, it's interesting, right? Because uh, if you have that mindset, um, uh, it's, it's the most exciting time ever to be alive. It it's, is, yeah. uh, my, my dear friend Dan Sullivan says it's important to have a future that's bigger than your past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very important statement because most of us, you know, I can see it even some of my friends are like winding down. And I'm like, why are you winding down? I'm winding up. I've had some people say they're bored. It's like, really? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> bored what? <laughs> yeah. Do you not realize the incredible world we're living into, yeah. this incredible video game that we're, yeah. we're part of? Yeah. So, you know, I think about, again, the, the basics. Uh, Food, diet, sleep, exercise, mindset. The other thing I put on the list is not dying from something stupid, right? Uh, wear your helmet when you're skiing. Put on your seatbelt. Uh, you've been an advisor for Fountain Life. Go and yeah. have yourself digitally uploaded yeah. every year. Look and see if there's anything going on because most of us are optimists about what's going inside our bodies, but we don't actually have an idea what's going on inside our bodies. By the time you feel something, it's too late. Another stat we wrote about, Tony and I wrote about in, uh, in Life Force, I'm curious you're thinking on it because it feels barbaric, is that the delay between there being a breakthrough and it showing up in your physician's office is like 17 years. Oh, it's, yeah, it's terrible. That was from, a, I think, a Bill Friss article in the New England Journal years ago. And I, I agree. I mean, I think it may be even more. I mean, you know, it, it took Semmelweis, who basically was this Austrian physician who decided, you know, he's watching all these women give birth and seeing all the people who are women who are taken care of by doctors were dying of childbirth fever, but all the w- women who were taken care of by midwives weren't. And he noticed the midwives wa- washed their hands. And he was like, maybe we should wash our hands. And the doctors, the medical committee was, you know, up in arms. They thought this was just heresy. They banished him. They got rid of him. How could you ever imply that doctors would be causing their patients harm? <laughs> and turned out he was right. We have to wash our hands before surgery. You know, that took 50 years. <laughs> so I think, I think we are unfortunately... In- but why does it take so long? What is the mindset that is, that is inherent that stops this progression? I, I think, you know, uh, 
um, Thomas Kuhn talked about this whole idea of normal science, uh, which is in his book, um, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And he talked about this term, the paradigm shift, and how hard it is to change paradigms from Newtonian uh, physics to quantum physics, from, you know, kind of creation theory to, you know, evolution from, you know, Galileo saying, hey, guys, the Earth is not the center of the universe and got put in jail for that. You know, like, it's really tough to change all ideas. And then, you know, my daughter's in medical school now, and, and they're, they're learning good stuff, but it's still the old paradigm. It's all sick care. It's like the old paradigm of disease-based paradigm. And now with, with these hallmarks, it's, it's an opportunity to go, wait a minute, this whole framework of disease is wrong. We, we cannot be studying diseases. We need to be studying mechanisms and causes. And then we need to be working on those. Because if we're just dealing with, basically dealing with the downstream effects of all these causes that we can do something about, we're just like, people are like, I'm gonna, let's find the drug for Alzheimer's. Good luck with that. Let's find the drug to cure heart disease. Good luck with that. We're better managing it. We're maybe reducing deaths. We're having better treatments. I mean, look at look at this whole treatment for diabetes with Ozempic. This yeah. is like makes me so crazy, Peter. Like, yes, these GLP one agonists are helpful, and if you you know, help you lose weight and help if you're a really advanced diabetic. But I can take someone who's got a hemoglobin A C of eleven, mm. and in a few six weeks get them to five. With no drugs, yeah. with food. If that's the best treatment, we should be using it. I, you know, I love this, this cartoon that uh, we've all seen. On one side, uh, there's a line of people and the window says, uh, uh, you know, uh, sign up for surgery. On the other side, there's a window with no one in line that says, you know, lifestyle change. Right, right. It's like we all want the, <laughs> the pill or the... Um, yeah, which is why people are taking rapamycin and metformin and NMN and all these compounds for longevity. But... If you're not dealing with the basics, it's yeah. a waste of time. Hey everybody, this is Peter. A quick break from the episode. You know, I'm a firm believer that science and technology and how entrepreneurs can change the world is the only real news out there worth consuming. I don't watch the crisis news network I call CNN or Fox and hear every devastating piece of news on the planet. I spend my time training my neural net the way I see the world by looking at the incredible breakthroughs in science and technology, how entrepreneurs are solving the world's grand challenges, what the breakthroughs are in longevity, how exponential technologies are transforming our world. So twice a week, I put out a blog. One blog is looking at the future of longevity, age reversal, biotech, increasing your health span. The other blog looks at exponential technologies, AI, 3D printing, synthetic biology, AR, VR, blockchain. These technologies are transforming what you as an entrepreneur can do. If this is the kind of news you want to learn about and shape your neural nets with, go to demandis.com backslash blog and learn more. Now back to the episode. All right. So let's actually go to some of those uh, longevity therapeutics because there are a number of them people may have read about, heard about, a number uh, I'm using and and, and doing. Uh, and I'm curious what your what your thinking is. So uh, you listed some. Let's begin with uh, with metformin. Okay. So metformin is a drug that was found in 1957. It's been used for diabetes forever. It it helps with improving insulin sensitivity. It has some side effects, some GI side effects, which sometimes are temporary, but also has some long term mitochondrial issues. Um, there's a large trial going on called the Tame trial, targeting aging with metformin, and the idea is. And if we can use this drug to optimize the AMPK function, AMPK, when it's properly activated, will induce autophagy, will help with DNA repair, will stimulate sirtuins, will cause um, the, the uh, improvement in glucose regulation, all these things we want to happen with aging. But 
does that mean it's the right treatment? It can, you know, like that, that joke about the, the, the farm, Vermont farmer. He says, how's your wife? He goes, compared to what? <laughs> you know, so isn't that farming compared to nothing? Yeah. But is it better than lifestyle? I don't think so. And here's why. There was a big trial. And it's hard to do randomized controlled trials in medicine and people with large amounts of people, in, you know, with lifestyle. It's just hard. But they did this trial called the Diabetes Prevention Trial back in the 90s when the food pyramid was big and we were told to eat six to 11 servings of bread, rice, or and pasta a day. <laughs> and that was the best diet, which is a low-fat diet. So it was not the optimized diet for diabetes. But they took these pre-diabetics and they basically said, okay, you're going to get lifestyle or you're going to get metformin or you're going to get nothing. So nothing, you know, basically was whatever. And then metformin reduced the risk to progression of diabetes by 31%. Lifestyle was 58%. Yeah. And that was, in my view, the wrong diet. And so if a crappy diet would work better than this drug, shouldn't we be like doubling down on the sugar stuff and the lifestyle stuff? Yeah, for because, sure. Because it, it, is it going to add, is it, if you optimize your insulin, your insulin levels under two and you're exercising and you're low on the car carbohydrates and stuff, is metformin going to create added value? I don't know. I don't, I, my gut feeling is no. And so that's one I'm, I'm on a respectful pause with. And I don't recommend it. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to hear what the TAME trial says, but I, I kind of have a, a, more of a bias against it because of some of this data. Do you, how do you come out on calorie restriction? Not severe, but limiting your calories per day. Uh, let's say your calories are coming from, uh, from high quality protein yeah. and plants um, and you're avoiding uh, high glycemic index foods. Do you still think you need to limit your, your caloric intake? Well, I mean, I met this guy once, and he was from the Calorie Restriction Society, and he wanted to live a long time. And How I was like, hanging out with this guy. I'm like, so what do you have for breakfast? He's like, I have five pounds of celery. And I'm like, uh, no thanks. <laughs> and I think, you know, the, the, the idea that we can restrict our calories to extend our life is a good one. But the question is, what else happens? You know, what happens to your hormones? What happens to your muscle mass? What happens to your mood? What happens to your sex drive? What happens to a lot of things? And they did those biosphere experiments where they, where they showed I, these. I was there. I was, my, my friends were in the biosphere. Yeah, yeah and they and did Jane. the calorie yeah. restriction. And they yeah. had improvements in their cholesterol and all these biomarkers and everything. But they also were not very happy and they, they were, were miserable. And it was not great in many ways for their health. So I think it's a mixed bag. The real question is, how do we, how do we find the Goldilocks solution? Which is, how do we mimic or hack calorie restriction without actually starving ourselves. So it could be time-restricted eating. It could be have periodic you, have fasting. Have you tried the, uh, uh, the uh, fasting mimicking diet, Prolon? Yeah, so Prolon is great. And Prolon is, is a sort of way to eat 800 calories a day for five days. Yeah. And, and it, it makes it very manageable. It makes it very easy to do. And, and the data is really impressive. And Walter is doing great work on this. And I, I think it's just showing how when we overstimulate our all of these pathways that our longevity switches by food, our bodies don't like it and it needs a break. So yes, whether you do fasting mimic diet or whether you, you don't eat for 24 hours once a week or you do a three-day fast once a quarter, like there's lots of ways to do it. But the, the easiest way is just to, you know, have something called breakfast, which means you're breaking your fast, which means you don't eat for 12 to 14 hours every night. That That's just a no-brainer for everybody. And I think uh, in terms of, you know, the, the amount, I don't think we should be overeating for sure. And I think we need to be, you know, lean and muscular is the best strategy for longevity. And if you're gaining belly fat, that's, that's the death knell. I mean, that that's is the indication that you're yeah. eating too much of the wrong thing. Yeah. Uh, let's go to, let's go to uh, Rapamycin next.
So rapamycin is, you know, this compound that was found in Rapa Nui, the Easter Island, and basically in the 60s, these scientists went and they scraped the stuff off the back of one of the statues that were delivered by aliens or something. <laughs> I don't know why. And, and they found, oh, maybe this is going to be a good drug compound. And it was kind of a sh shitty antifungal. And then they, they found it maybe has some immune modulating properties. So it's been used in transplant medicine. It's not an immune suppressive, but it, but it, it, does, it does have benefits in reducing inflammation. And then people started researching around longevity and finding that it inhibits mTOR. In fact, this pathway mTOR, which always talks about longevity, means mammalian target of rapamycin. Yes. So literally, it's named after this drug from Rapa Nui. I, it's hilarious. It's great. And I think, you know, the animal studies are very promising. The mechanism is really interesting. So instead of calorie restriction, this is a drug that could induce calorie uh, restriction without actually starving yourself. So it induces the benefits like autophagy. So I think taking it at night, there's different people experimenting with it. You know, I mean, I just talked to Deepak Chopra. He takes, you know, six milligrams once a week. There's yeah. people who take it two milligrams three times a week for five weeks, eight weeks off. There's a million different regimens. We're all guessing. Yes. We're all We're guessing. All, it's all a and, giant and experiment. It's all a giant experiment. And depending on your, your adventurousness and your willing for risk tolerance, you know, you might be willing to try it. Maybe you want to try it. I try it. You know, uh, I'm like, on six once a week. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing. And, and it's, it's, uh, it, it kind of makes sense, but I, I wonder why six once a week, why not more intermittent shorter doses? Why, you know, what, it, what actually are we kind of basing on? I think we need more data. We need more human studies. And the trials are just beginning now. Yeah. So I, I think we need to pour money into that. And I, you know, I think there are, there are maybe other compounds that have modulating effects that inhibit mTOR, and there are a lot in the plant kingdom. So there are a lot of compounds in the plant kingdom that do this as well. All right, so we've covered uh, metformin and rapamycin. Uh, let's go next to, uh, to exogenous stem cells. Mm. So uh, you know, one of the things that is very true when, you know, when we're born in, in utero, uh, we are Basically, the, the placenta is generating stem cells and populating your body and all of the tissues differentiating. And when you're born, you have the highest percentage of stem cells in your body that you have. And then as you grow older, your downhill. stem cell population is <laughs> all downhill. In fact, for those wondering, you know, it's pretty clear that after your mid to late 20s, it's downhill across almost all systems. Your thymus, your stem cell populations, your growth hormone, yeah. everything. So we really were designed to live till age 30 to get our, uh, our children up to reproductive age. And then, yeah. anyway, but having said that, our stem cell populations drop by 100 to 1,000 fold uh, as we get older. And the idea is, could we supplement it to regenerate repair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are, there are interesting, some interesting early data on certain therapies that can induce stem cell production, whether it's hyperbaric oxygen therapy or ozone therapy. So there are exogenous treatments that without getting a stem cell transplant, which is stupidly expensive, you could, you could actually simulate your, your own. And there may be more and more data on how we do that through lifestyle. And I think there's some really interesting things around how we can make that happen. I do, I do think that, that, you know, there are intermediate steps like exosomes, which may be the active components in stem cells that are much cheaper, that are easily available, that don't, you don't have to suck your bone marrow out of your fat cells, and you don't have to like go to Panama to do it. And, you know, like, it's like, uh, and so I think those are... By the way, is this going to be like, you know, le <laughs> leeches were, you know, back in the old days? Like, do you think they, they really used to do that? Oh my God, that's crazy. Maybe, yeah. You know, I don't know. I think, I think that uh, the exosomes are interesting. I've had a few experience with exosomes. One was... Uh, um, 
I had colitis from getting C. diff, which is a, ah, a, yeah. caused by a bacteria that I got after taking an antibiotic for a root canal that was bad. And I was a mess. And then I got C. diff, and then I got severe ulcerative colitis afterwards. And through a different, my usual tricks weren't working, and then I tried exosomes. Are we okay? Yeah, we're, we're fine. Okay. I, I tried my usual tricks, and then I tried exosomes. And it literally sort of got rid of it. And This is that, IV exosomes? Uh, intravenous exosomes. And so I, exosomes, uh, for everybody, is the product that comes out of a stem cell. A stem cell is, is a little, think of it as a... A factory of growth factors and, and healing factors, and, repair and factors, regenerative RNA, factors, like yeah, uh, microRNAs, and it just pumps it out in little vacuoles of yeah. Uh, materials. Yeah, yeah. Think think of it like think of messengers. Like, think of like you know think of like uh, the 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 stem cells as like a big aircraft carrier, and then they bring in all the like the special forces, and then they the special forces go out and do all the work. Or the FedEx truck and the FedEx right. package is coming out. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Exactly, and and exosomes, it's great because you can basically take the placenta, you make sure it's all clean, no disease or anything, and you can culture the lab, and you can grow the stem cells in there, and then you can extract the exosomes, and you can get billions and billions and billions. There's no limit to the amount you can get. Um, another th thing I had with exosomes was. Uh, when I had a back issue, I had back surgery that went bad, and I was having tons of inflammation in my spine because I had bleeding in my spine. Bad news. And uh, my friend Matt Cook injected 30 cc's of exosomes right up my spinal cord. Yes. And it was amazing. The pain went away immediately. Uh, and, and then I had COVID. And, and these are, of course, these are all anecdotal, but and I've used these with patients as well and seen results. And I had severe brain fog, depression. Like, I don't get depressed. I'm like, wow, now I get why people get depressed. Like, you know, I had depression in my time from like divorce or things like that. But like, I just felt like physiologically depressed and inflamed and COVID affects the brain and causes tons of inflammation in the brain. And so I kind of got a shipment to my house and I gave myself an IV because I'm a doctor and it was like, boom, the lights turned on and my brain fog went away. My brain came back. So I think they have a real value. And, and again, this is the early, one of my companies that, you know, Cellularity, Bob Hurry, uh, we are producing placental derived stem cells and exosomes and just now entering the scientific studies to look at, can we prove the impact it has? And, yeah. you know, you have a choice of where you get your stem cells from. You can either get it from your own fat, your own bone marrow. Or you can get it uh, from a placenta or umbilical cord uh, in the afterbirth. But end of the day, that's getting it from a placenta or from an umbilical cord is not legal in the United States because the science isn't there. So um, right now, uh, when I hear someone's looking for stem cell therapies, I'm sending them down to Costa Rica to a regenerative medicine institute down, uh, down there with, yeah. uh, uh, with Vince Giampapa. Yeah, um, exactly. And, but the science will will bear out the data over the next few years, hopefully in, within this decade, so we can have it available domestically safely yeah. with the science behind it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty exciting, and it's being used in orthopedic medicine a lot. It's being used by athletes. I, mean, I, I know when I, I had, I had uh, uh, a reconstruction on my right shoulder and my left shoulder about 10 years apart, my left shoulder, after I had done uh, uh, the reconstruction, I had two different exosome injections, and it healed so much faster so fast yeah. right yeah i mean i had back pain for 30 years after a surgery when i was 30 and he, you know matt put all this stuff in my placental matrix with healing factors and exosomes 
And I'm like sitting here really with no pain, which I, I couldn't even sit before without being comfortable. I managed it. I just dealt with it. I massaged, I yoga and everything. But it's like now I, I was sort of shocked to believe that this field of regenerative medicine has these solutions that, you know, most orthopedic doctors don't know about or, or scoff at. But yeah, it's one when I was the, told I needed back surgery and I needed to have like metal rods put in and a whole spinal fusion and reconstruction, I'd be in bed for a year. And I'm like... You know, I just got back from skiing in Switzerland, you know, going full blast down the mountain, you know, so I, I didn't do that. Yeah, no, very good. I mean, right now, one of the things that I'm, I'm proud of that we're doing at, at, uh, at Fountain Life is we're searching the world for anything that sounds promising and then vetting it to identify, is it safe? Is it low risk? Is it high, high efficacy? And then trying to make that available to our members. And so... That's Hopefully right. it will be, uh, the exosomes are available, the stem cells are not yet domestically. Yeah. Um, a few other things, total plasma exchange, TPE. Now this is fascinating. And oil, of, oil changes. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you might have heard of like, you know, that's right, that, that TV show, uh, Silicon Valley, and they had this one episode called Blood Boy. Yes, the, I love that. Where the Silicon Valley entrepreneur was like getting some young guy and getting his blood and making him younger. You know, Mao Zedong used to take the blood of young Red Army soldiers and transfuse it into himself for longevity, you know? So, but, but there's this bunch of studies that were done on animals that are called parabiosis. And essentially what they did was they took old mice and young mice and they kind of wired their circulations together and they watched what happened. And the old mice became young. And the young mice, mice became, became old. old. Yeah. <laughs> so the question was, what was it? It was it the old mice's blood that was bad that was, you know, they were giving to the young. I'm like, well, what was going on? So they kind of reverse engineered the study a little bit, and and they found that if they just did plasma cleaning of the old mice, that they would get the same longevity benefits. Now, plasma phoresis is a the medical treatment's been around for a long, long time. It's used in autoimmune diseases. It's used in various neurologic conditions. It's it's really a well-established uh, medical treatment. But it's being explored as a longevity therapy and, and can be done in, in ways that aren't as aggressive. Like you don't have to take your whole plasma out, but you can take a liter or two out. And essentially the idea is you're filtering your blood. You're filtering out all these old proteins and all these inflammatory compounds and who knows what else is in there. <laughs> And <laughs> whatever you put in there. And you're going to throw back some albumin, which is going to reconstitute your blood. And by the way, your nothing. plasma is mostly this protein albumin and some saline and some. Yeah. 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 But there's all this other gunk in there that seems to be getting rid of. change. And I, I'll tell you another story. I, I had COVID second time and I, it was kind of rougher than the first. And I had a terrible post COVID syndrome of like arthritis. So I developed my hand blew up and I was really swollen and painful. I couldn't make a fist and I felt like crap. Again, I went to see Matt Cook, and he got this plasma phoresis, and they always needed the blood when it went in. Yeah. And literally the next day, I was good as new. My hand was normal. I had full energy, and I went and like... To good old Matt. I love Matt Cook. He's awesome. Yeah, and I'm like, God, this stuff is amazing. So, I, I mean, honestly, I... If I had my perfect world, I'd get like a plasma phoresis once a month. I do ozone every month. I do hyperbarics once a year for 30, 40 treatments. I mean, I would, I kind of. All right, let's talk. Let's go to hyperbarics next. So, uh, all of the experiments in Israel that show if you're uh, if you're spending like three hours a day for how many days? Like what they did was they took uh, people who who were, uh, were about I think it was 60 people or so. They gave them uh, I think uh, 60 to 90 minute treatment at about two atmospheres. Of, know, of, of, of 100% oxygen? 100% oxygen. But actually, I, it's, the protocol was kind of questionable because they, uh, the, the, I know somebody who knows the Israeli scientists and he was telling me what they did. And they basically would, would kind of raise 
um, and lower the, the pressure, the oxygenation. So it was not just steady. But basically, the idea is you go in this pressure chamber that they use for scuba divers who, you know, come up too fast, and it hyperoxygenates your tissues. Now it's being used in wound repair. People can't heal a wound or all diabetic ulcers, strokes. And I've had incredible results with stroke patients, although it's not really approved for that, but but it's being researched, used for autism, for Alzheimer's, for all kinds of stuff. Um, Lyme disease. And when you hyperoxygenate the body and you do it under pressure, it seems to be very healing for a lot of things. And so what they did was they measured telomeres and they measured zombie cells. And it had a bigger impact on lengthening telomeres and killing zombie cells than any other known treatment. So I think it's very promising. And I just was with uh, uh, in Dubai with a gentleman who's the chairman of uh, uh, DP World and, and has a, a hyperbaric chamber facility there. And he was, he, I try to remember exactly the numbers, but you have to oh, go. Was this for Aviv? Like, was this Aviv? No, um, it it. The the facility name yeah. it might it might have it might have yeah. been it's based on this Israeli guy's it's, work it's based on this yeah Israeli this is called Aviv yeah. yeah. and they have one in Dubai and one in Florida yes exactly that's right that's right and so uh, I I gather you go five days a week for like six weeks for like it's nine, ninety sessions nine, it's ninety days over three months you yeah. do like whatever and so you're in sessions. you're in there for like. How long per session? An hour, an hour and a half. Yeah. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. I mean, and you're not sitting there sleeping or reading or working. You're, no, you, you're, you could, they actually have mass and you can like read and you can watch. Yes, but you're supposed to be like actually doing mental exercises, mental exercises right? yeah. to, to drive things, right? So you're, you're assigned work while you're in there. And what he was saying apparently was that uh, it brings your neuronal oxygenation level expectations up to a point that when you're outside of the hyperbaric chambers, your brain is, is, is creating more, uh, a larger vascular supply. Um, do you know what the cause of it is? Well, uh, why has more why, vascular, I mean, why, from the mechanism of hyperbarics yes. or the brain exercises? No, no, hyperbarics. So I'm, I'm just, one of, the, one of the concerns I had is, you know, hyperoxygenation is also bad for you. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's oxidative stress on your, on your body. Yeah. So I, I feel like the, like the, uh, uh, we may, haven't heard the full story. Well, here. I think, I think it's a very important point you bring up because in our minds, we think antioxidants, health, longevity, oxidation, bad, right? And I think it depends and how much and when and with what. So, so yes, you're getting potentially an increase in oxidative stress, but your body in order to heal stuff and kill stuff has its own oxidative stress mechanisms when your white blood cells want to kill something they make hydrogen peroxide (laughs) they make ozone and they like literally and so we have our own like kind of chemical warfare systems yeah yeah (laughs) so uh these these help us stay healthy and young and kill all kinds of infections so infections are really not happy about the high oxygen and a lot of low-grade infections we can have that create chronic inflammation whether viruses or whether it's hsv1 which is herpes in the brain for dementia so i think there's something about the the infection rate i also think that the the um the dose and the length of time matters, right? If you're at high, 100% oxygen for a long time, it's super dangerous. Yeah. But if you have a pulsed amount for a short time, it kicks in the body's own healing system. And this is, a, I wanted to talk about hormesis. We have a few minutes left, but I think it's such a, this is, these are hormetic therapies. So basically the idea of hormesis is what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so when, when 
we now live in this perfectly regulated environment. It's 68 degrees. We never have to deal with any stresses. We always have food. And so we don't, we're not starving. We're not, we don't have to use our bodies, which is a stress. We don't have to run from tigers anymore. We, we, we know we, we are, have a... Uh, it's a cush lifestyle. Cush lifestyle. <laughs> and so the truth is, as human beings, we, we are learned to live in, in tough environments, and we have great systems for dealing with that. So hormesis is like cold therapy or you know, saunas or cold plunges or ozone or hyperbaric oxygen or exercise or calorie restriction or time-restricted eating. These are all different forms of hormesis, low oxygen states, hypoxia states, which are really in a whole nother interesting therapy for longevity. And so we have all these potential tools to use and I try to incorporate them as much as I can. Exercise, obviously, time-restricted eating is easy. I do hot and cold therapies whenever I can. I did hot yoga yesterday like, and it was like really hot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I felt so good after. I take a cold shower every morning and it's painful at first and get used to yeah, it. Yeah, cold shower is yeah. great. Yeah. So, but I think ice we, bath is just tough for me right now. I mean, you know, it's better if you go from sauna to cold plunge. It's better. Yeah. But I think I think these these uh, you know Wim Hof does these whole training programs and a lot you know breath breath work. These are different kinds of hormetic therapies, and we can induce these in our modern lifestyle in a way that activate these ancient healing systems. So, at the bottom line, the message here is that we're doing everything to screw up our ancient healing systems. There's so much we can do to activate our body's own innate healing, longevity, repair, and healing systems. Yeah. Um, there's one last on the list for me. It's uh, senolytic medicine. So you talked about you know the notion that we have these zombie cells, grouchy old men cells. You know, cells. Uh, there's something called the Hayflick limit, as you know, that cells will replicate a certain number of times, and then they should have the decency to die. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they become cancers, or sometimes they stick around and pump out inflammatory. And there are a variety of these senolytics that are meant to kill these senile cells. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, quercetin and dastanab as, as one. There are others. Uh, do you uh, use any of them? Yes. I mean, I, I take fisetin. I take quercetin. I take extract of Himalayan tartary buckwheat, which has all 132 different phytochemicals and bioflavonoids, quercetin, rutin, asperidin, all these compounds. That How many pills a day do you take? Oh, you know, it's a good handful. <laughs> I think I'm, a, I'm It's not a bowlful, but it's a handful. <laughs> <laughs> I remember talking to uh, Ray Kurzweil's wife, and she said, "Yeah, Ray is a superpower. Pill taking." <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I can like, I mean, I'll take yeah, one at a time. If I had to do that, I, I would. No, I, I, I take a whole bag full. Yes, I'm up to about sixty right now, which is crazy. Um, so, a lot, um, and I, I think to summarize, you know, what you've been preaching is there's certain things that you can do that are basic and are really totally. going back to uh, what it is to live a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we talked about a lot about a lot of crazy esoteric stuff that is coming on the pike, but the truth is the the 80, 20 on this is stuff that is free, accessible. It's literally understanding how your bodies were designed and working with them and basically getting rid of the bad stuff, putting in the good stuff. And that's really why I wrote Young Forever, was a roadmap. It's not, you know, you know, deep dives into all the science, although the science is there. It's really about taking the science and, and creating an interpretive map for people to design their lives and include what they like and leave what they don't, but build these practices on a daily level that keep you feeling better and younger longer. I mean, my goal is to die young as late as possible. Yes, I love, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, let me ask you for a summation here at the end. 
So those of you uh, who are going to go out there and buy Young Forever, please do. Uh, those of you who are going to eventually go and buy it, please do. But in the meantime, yeah. all right, buddy, what's, what's your summation here? What should people remember? I think the key thing to remember is that, is that it's not that hard. That, that based on the science we have now, we understand the basic causes of disease and aging. We understand the basic ingredients for health, the science of creating health. And that Young Forever is simply a roadmap that guides you through how your body works that you were never given. It's like the owner's manual. And, you know, it's like, you know, your car, you don't know all the features. You don't have to use all the things. But the basic stuff to get around, navigate, and do what you got to do, you got to learn how to do. And, and it maps out what to eat, how to exercise, how to hack your sleep, how to discharge stress, how to deal with trauma, what the latest and, you know, most sort of useful nutraceuticals are and supplements are what's coming down the pike the hormesis therapies that are easy to use so it's it's really a practical user's it's guide to your body yeah that's great uh where can people find you anywhere and everywhere <laughs> <laughs> uh, just go to uh, all the social medias dr mark hyman that's dr mark hyman my website's drhyman.com it won't be hard to find me all right buddy thank you so much for what you do it's a pleasure to call your friend and uh, thanks for joining me on Moonshots and Mindsets. My pleasure. It's great. Let's do it again. We just, I feel like we just scratched the surface. <laughs> we, 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 we did. We got another five or six years of work to, to report back on soon. Take care. Bye.